Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I'm Sid Ziegler. It's kind of embarrassing when I find athletes who came out a few years ago and I somehow missed their story. Outsports as a whole missed their story. Corinne Humphreys is one of those athletes. Corinne is an elite level sprinter. Uh, she's competed in the 2018 Commonwealth Games in the 100 meters. She runs for Team Great Britain. Shared her story a couple of years ago, and we just missed it. Uh, as they say, the only better time to plant a tree than 20 years ago is right now. So I figured it was high time I had a conversation with Corinne. And it was great talking with her. One of the things that I really loved about it is her perspective on how to empower youth to overcome anti-LGBTQ biases and bullying and teasing. And it was all about uh, helping that person embrace all of who they are. And one of the beautiful things uh, about our conversation is that we didn't just talk about her being a lesbian. We talked about track and field, we talked about COVID, and we even got to talk about her passion for DJing and my passion for music. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with elite level sprinter, Corinne Humphreys. Corinne, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, for those of you listening, Corinne is hard at work at her uh, warehouse of a studio. So if you hear some music <laughs> in the background, it's just because she's in she's in the middle of <laughs> various workout sessions. Um, <laughs> Corinne, you you I, I read about this story uh, that you tell about the beginning of your career when a PE teacher saw you race against a, a boy. Tell us about <laughs> what happened that day. Uh, so it was a PE lesson. I think I was in year seven. So that's like eighth grade, I believe, or sixth grade. And I think I was chasing a boy because he he stole the football from me or what we call, well, what you call soccer. And so I was chasing him. And then my PE teacher was watching in the distance. And I think he was like, wow, you're actually pretty fast the way you moved across the playground like that. So yeah, that was the the event that happened when my PE teacher first saw that I could run. And so what happened? Did you start, did you join a, a local track team? Like what, what were the next steps for you? Um, the next steps, I didn't really take off doing track until I was about 15 from then. Um, I think because my, well, later coach and my PE teacher, then I think he, because he was an athlete himself, he knew the level of commitment that you needed. And he, I think he could see that I probably wasn't ready for that as I was still playing other sports like football and basketball and stuff. So we, we didn't really start training until I was about 15. And even then I didn't join a running club. He just kind of took me down to the track or a, a group of us to a track and just started what he calls giving us breadcrumbs. So just like introducing us to the sport, if you will. So then I didn't join a club until I was 16. That's pretty late to, to start and, and to get to where you are today. What obviously you have some natural talent. What are some of the other things that have helped you very quickly emerge onto the international stage? I do think it was my coaching, to be honest. Um, like I mentioned before, my coach at the time when I was first introduced to the sport, he was a, an, an international sprinter. Uh, a while back now and I think 
just his level of experience kind of got me to that point because I didn't have a conventional journey. So I was really going by what he kind of was saying about the journey and how I should be attacking it and stuff. Because, again, I didn't engage with track and field in the conventional way. At what point did uh, international competition, the Commonwealth Games, the Olympic Games, at what point did they come onto your radar screen for you? If I'm honest, I only thought, I only believed that I could make international competition when I was in my 20s, if I'm honest, just because of how the journey panned out. So kind of international competition wasn't really on my radar until I was about 21, when I had done my first Olympic trials. Uh, yeah, 2012. And so are you still focused on competing in Tokyo later this year? Fingers crossed that it goes ahead, but um, I have every intention of going to the trials and seeing what happens. But um, with COVID, it's very, very, very tricky, especially where I'm coming from, from the past sort of year and a half doing rehab. So not having access to the track and things like that. It's going to be a massive challenge, a massive challenge, but it is my aim. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of the, the people who you're competing against are, are in their early, early 20s, you're in your late 20s, and you've also had to deal with a lot of injuries. Um, yeah, I can, I, yeah, I can only imagine how COVID and not being able to get on the track while you're still recovering have, has gotten in the way. Sid, you wouldn't believe. Honestly, this is definitely the hardest thing I've had to navigate even more than coming out in sport it's definitely the hardest thing that I've had to navigate and I think just knowing that the people that I'm competing against or some of them they've had the added advantage of being able to access um, facilities during this time so it, it, it's going to be a very interesting competition let's put it that way so it's, it's been very very difficult. Why is it that some people have had access to to facilities but you haven't is it is it where you live in the country or or no no <laughs> apparently so there's this thing that they're calling the the elite list and the realistic potential list and it's there it's people that are funded by british athletics and i think people who they who england athletics deem as realistic potential for the Commonwealth Games next year in Tokyo this year those are the people that are on the list and there's probably about probably all of 15 names in the whole country which I think is absolutely ridiculous given that in, in when pre-injury I very much was sort of at the top of of the the tier for British sprinting so it's it's very it's actually a very flawed system and I don't know how they can you know, really confidently say that they're going to be putting on competitions knowing that this was the situation? I mean, it seems patently unfair that they would essentially take a list and, and handicap the list and then add additional handicaps to people like you who have a legitimate shot, but they simply have decided, well, you know, we're, we want to go in a different direction. I mean, it, it have, have you raised these concerns of, of fairness to the athletics groups? It's definitely on my radar. And I think just 
somebody that doesn't like to rock the boat but I'm I'm kind of through with with that approach now and I really am trying to be very forthcoming with how I think and what I feel and it's definitely something that needs to be raised if it hasn't already because it's very very unfair it's it's actually I would pull it up against obviously it's not this but with performance enhancing it's not a drug but this is performance enhancing people have access to facilities that the other the others don't it's just not fair competition at all not in the slightest the some of the people that was you know when i when i hear things like this and you are an out black lesbian uh you know i i immediately start wondering if parts of your identity could be why is i mean have have other lesbians uh uh and or black athletes been given some of this access no i don't think it's so much that because it is just sport across the board and like i said if we're saying that there are 800 competitive uk athletes there's only about 10 to 15 people on on the list that that are allowed to access facilities so and in in my region where i'm from I'm, i think it's about maybe 10 people or less that are able to access it so I don't think it's a case of race or sexuality I definitely think it's just a flawed system in how they approach elite performance. Wow well when are the Olympic trials currently set? Currently set I don't think we've got an exact date it's normally late no it's end of June I think it's June 30th around that time yes. With Team Great Britain in the United States uh, with track and field essentially at the Olympic trials, whoever places, that's who represents the United States. So you have situations where uh, uh, some of the greatest sprinters of all time have missed the Olympics because they mm -hmm. pulled a hammy in the middle of a race or something. It, how does Team Great Britain make that choice? Is it all based on one race or do they look at the body of work? So I believe you would have had to run a qualifying time within a certain time period so I think it's within a year and then you would have had to come first or second at the trials for automatic qualification but then the third spot is normally um, discretionary and then for relays again it's uh, the ones that have automatically placed in like the 100 and 200 and then again discretionary so there's a lot of question marks that are going to be raised even more so than previous years just because there hasn't been that fair level of of access to facilities and and proper training you talked about this being more difficult than your coming out journey um I want to talk to you about that journey when was it that you first started sharing who you are with the people uh, around you in your personal life and in your competitive life in my personal life uh, i started to come out around 17 18 so it was quite a like a, a slow journey to be honest but yeah 17 18 in my personal life and then within the sport it wasn't until I was about 25 yeah about 25 no 26 oh my goodness yeah 26 yeah so only a few years ago what was it that created a, a essentially a decade gap between sharing who you are with family and friends and, and, and being comfortable enough to share that with your fellow competitors? I think it is because of just what I've touched on in this conversation about 
just the, the way how track and field is in the UK, it's very kind of, there are cliques within, within the sport. And I think there's like the in crowd. And if you're not in with the in crowd, then you're not, you're not here at all sort of thing. And I think in my own personal life, I've very much asserted myself in the way that that is, is true to me. And people have loved me for me and other talents that I have. And the be all and end all wasn't my athletic ability because there are other things I'm interested in, other things I engage in out, outside of track. But in track, it's just not the case. It's very much your kind of only, you're taken uh, um, for your performance rather than who you are as a person. That's, that's kind of what it's like. So that's why I was very reluctant because I knew that because of all of the struggles that I've had and that my performance wasn't what I wanted it to be and what I knew it could be, I kind of was just invisible. So I thought there's, there's no way I'm putting this on my head as well just to be another outcast. It's interesting you, you talk about clicks in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, an individual sport where, you know, I understand it in, in team sports because, you know, team sports are about you know, teamwork and, and camaraderie and you, you think about individual sports and, and it's just interesting to hear that those kinds of cliques that form on teams also form in, in elite level individual sports as well. Yeah, it's really, it's such a, a strange world, track, And these cliques do form, even though uh, it's an individual sport. And it's kind of like, the, just that kind of peer support that you would get when you're training in a group. Because even though it's individual, you do train as part of a group. And just within your group, there are people that you can clearly see have a good relationship. And then you could be in the same group and people don't bat an eyelid at you. And same with actually making a team. You could be... On the, representing your country all at the same time but then people could pass you in the hallway and just not even say hello sort of thing like it's really strange it's really strange very strange you, you said that you were never really able to enjoy sport um that that it wasn't freeing for you until you came out um, yeah what what has changed since coming out that has helped you enjoy sport more I think just not looking for anyone's approval, really. And the only thing that I'm focused on is my performance and my progression. And like I said, in track, because a lot of it is, you do worry about how people perceive you if you don't perform well. So on a bad day, you kind of go into yourself and think, oh, are they judging me as a person? Because, you know, my performance is all I've got to show for because people don't really get to know the person. But once I let all of that go, it was kind of, this is just a bad day for me and that's it. And I'm just been able to be myself. And, and the strength that I have as a person, as, uh, you know, aside from my performances, that's what I carry forward. How, is, how have you felt the acceptance of you being a lesbian from your competitors has been? Yeah, for the most part, it's been good. It's been very good. Um, there are only a few people that I've spoken to about that engage with me about it and that was sort of in my inner training group but other than that yeah like I said track and field is very much performance first and they, people don't really get involved in your personal life as such so it hasn't been that bad since coming out. Have you had people just you know outwardly support you? N not me no not for being gay N not at all. Has, has, has the, the athletics world, I mean, the athletics organization, what is it, is it great, is it, what, what is the organization name that oversees uh, English athletics? Oh, well, there is, there's an England athletics and then there's a British athletics. What the difference is, I think 
England Athletics deals with home counties and then uh, British Athletics deals with the UK as a whole. Um, yeah. British Athletics have started a, a Athletics Pride Network. Uh, they started that last year, I believe. So I think now that the conversation is a lot more open, just outside of sport, it's just given the platform for, for these kind of networks to, to come about. So they are starting to have a bit more of an open platform and open forum for people to be able to talk about their sexuality a bit more within the sport. Yeah, I saw that uh, that Pride, Athletics Pride organization within the sport there. Are, are you a part of that? Yeah, yeah, I've been one of the core members from the beginning. Is there, I mean, do you feel that it's it's doing good work? I mean, are you are, are you able to identify people who need support and reach out to them? I think because it's still in its early stages, there are a lot of things being sort of planned now that I think will allow for that to happen. Us have a reach for people to have access to this network. But then I think COVID has really just <laughs> put a halt to a lot of things. So I think in the coming months when COVID has been a bit more, you know, it's, there's just a bit more normality. I think we'll really see the power of what the network can be for people coming out within the sport. It is just amazing the, the 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 impact of this. I mean, it's of the pandemic. It seems to pervade every single conversation that I have. I mean, whether you talk about being able to train, being able to reach out to people, support one another, uh, it, it's. And to your point, you know, you mentioned earlier. I I hope the Olympics happen. I I'm not even sure that that's going to happen at this point. <laughs> yeah, you you've talked about. Um, when you were younger, there being a, a voice in your head for so many years telling you things about what it is to be a lesbian and, and, and being a lesbian in sports. What was that voice telling you all of those years? It was telling me that being a lesbian is, is not right, first of all. And I can only liken it to having some sort of disease. That's how I used to hear it because of the way how things were said to me when I was quite young to, to people that tried to bully me because of the way how I carried myself. How was it that you carried yourself? Just as I am now, to be honest, just very tomboyish, you know, like playing with the boys in the playground, like sports and riding bikes and things like that. There was nothing else to suggest that I was gay, but just that, simply the fact that I was very much into sports and all of my friends were guys, that made a lot of girls call me a lesbian and bully me for that. And so I imagine that all, all of that just reinforced that voice in your head. Oh, definitely. Well, that's where it was created. And then it was reinforced just by, I think when there's a lot of, things going on in your mind you kind of attribute certain things to 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 certain things and it may not be the case but especially my journey within sports and well athletics mainly I think I started athletics to kind of escape my reality so I knew that I was fast so that's what I kind of put my attention on but because in that in that world you're judged off of your talent and when I entered people couldn't see what I was capable of. So I attributed that to, oh no, they must see that I'm gay and that's why I'm being treated differently. But it wasn't that. So I think the voice in my head, I attributed it first of all to bullies in school. And then I attributed it to people within the sport 
So that's the voice that would continuously play in my head, especially when I was in an athletics arena. It kind of, there were mixed messages going on and it was like people were judging me because of my sexuality when really that's just kind of the nature of British sport or British uh, track and field. Do you think you were also dealing with racism? I mean, the, you know, the, the, the percentage of the population in, in the UK who are black is pretty low. Was that something that you had to deal with as well? No, not for track and field, not in the UK. Um, I think it's quite, it's pretty diverse. So I don't think my colour was any factor in how I was treated. One of the things that we're constantly struggling with is how to help, how to help kids in sport, Um, you know, and who are LGBTQ. And, you know, some people like to focus on trying to stop bullying and, and stop the use of slurs, but nothing seems to work because kids are kids and they're just mean to each other. And then, and then other people like me try to focus on empowering those LGBTQ exactly. kids. What do you think would have helped a young Corinne as she was being bullied about this? It's exactly what you just said. It's the empowerment. And there's so much strength in that because kids are going to be kids and then when you grow up people are going to be people and you can't control what people think and how they act but you can control how you deal with those situations and I think if you feel empowered no matter who you are whatever whatever comes to you you're going to be prepared to to just know how to deal with it and stand up for yourself because sometimes and in my situation in track I didn't have people standing up for me so I was the only person I could rely on when I was coming out because nobody else was actively fighting my corner. So I think from a young age, it doesn't sound nice, but then when there's so many people empowering themselves, those people will bunch together and then everyone can empower. In fact, actually, when I started to empower myself, that's when people started taking me for me and not my sexuality or race or anything else. So I think empowering the individual is the main way that we can really make a difference with the LGBTQ youth. It's amazing. When I was a kid, I was teased as well um, from the age of nine until, oh, probably about 13 or 14. I was teased all the time about being gay. And, and I noticed that when it started stopping was one, I started winning races. I was a hurdler and I was a jumper and I started winning meets. And two, my confidence level. When I started, when I started projecting confidence, the, the bullies became less confident in teasing. Exactly, exactly. How do you, how, how do you teach a kid that? Like, how do you teach a young Corinne to, to, to just try to be more confident? And that's, I think that's what we're struggling with now is, is how do you help kids see through the language and start to project more confidence in just being themselves? I think just addressing the individual for everything that they are, not just their ability in sport or not just their sexuality, but everything that they possess and, and really boosting them for, for all of that. So I wasn't just good at sport. I was very good at English. I was very good at music, history. There was all of these things that people could have empowered me for and I wouldn't have seen my sexuality as the be all and dendal because I felt like a whole person aside from my sexuality 
So I think really seeing just an individual as a whole person and really boosting them for everything that, that they're into and encouraging them to improve anything that they feel needs improving in terms of sport. I think that is how you can really combat that. That, that's amazing. Really empowering kids to pursue their interests and pursue their strengths. And whether it's music or art or athletics, when you're, when you're good at something, uh, whatever it is, people start looking at you differently. And, 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 and that's, uh, that's really good insight. Yeah. Um, you mentioned music. I saw that you uh, are a DJ. Tell me about that. I love I love dance music. I love people from Opera Nassim, Jan Blomquist, and everyone in between. Tell me about DJ. Um, well, my dad was a DJ, so I think I've always grown up around music, and my mom loves music. So it, it just stemmed from there. My brother, he's a producer. He's actually produced music for, I'm not sure if you're familiar with kind of the grime scene in the UK, but JME, and he's actually produced a song for Ray J. Um, so he's, he's always been into music as well. So I think alongside sport, music was always another go-to that I really enjoyed. And when I was 23, my dad just gave me his old decks and I started playing at house parties. And then my brother started throwing um, events in clubs in London and I started to play at them. And it kind of just went from there. I'm, I'm jealous. I would <laughs> love to do that and I've just never taken the time to do it. What, what what genres do you play with? I play for the audience, to be honest, and and the type of club or environment that I'm in. So I, I play everything from, from dance and house to R&B and rap and soca. I don't know if you're familiar with soca, but yeah, all kinds of music. So, so if I head to gay or some other uh, gay club in, in London, might I look up and see you behind the DJ booth? Funnily enough, I haven't DJed, oh no, I've only DJed at one gay event, but the rest were launch parties and house parties and just normal, kind of, well, not normal, just, I guess, club events open to everyone. Well, okay, so give me some, <laughs> this is going to turn into an advice session. If I wanted to, <laughs> if I wanted to, 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 to dabble with uh, mixing and, and DJing, where would I or anybody else start? There are a lot of apps and things nowadays, but I think uh, a good app to, to download is called DJ Pro. And what you can do with that is if you've got a smart device or if you have like a DJ controller, once you get that program, um, you get like virtual decks on your screen and you can connect your, if you've got Apple Music or Tidal, you can connect that. So your the, the music that you've already got saved, like in your libraries, you can start to play around with that. So that's something where you don't need additional equipment. You can just buy that and then start to mix songs straight away. That's probably the best advice I'd give because you, when you have music that already you're already familiar with, it's easy to kind of hear the beat and how to time it. But when you kind of just throw random songs together because you're not familiar with the song, it's a bit harder to kind of grasp it. I was so good at math. And every time I'm <laughs> on the dance floor, no, no, I, it's awful. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm singing in my head other songs as the song is playing because I can, I can, I'm matching the beats to other songs. And I, I really, I, you know what? I'm going to do this. 2021. <laughs> I it's your year, this. Sid. DJ Sid, it's your year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Corinne, how can we 
support you this year in your endeavor to get to Tokyo? Just follow me on Instagram at CD Humphreys and just just continue to, to watch. And what supports me and inspires me is when people use my journey to inspire themselves. So just if anything that I've said or anything you've read that I've said, if it inspires you, just, just let me know. And that keeps me going. And hopefully you keeping me going can keep you going and we can just support each other. I, like I told you, I've, I've loved what I've read that you've said, and I, I, I'm just so embarrassed that it has taken three years for <laughs> us to connect it. Well, but uh, we will definitely be in touch more often. And I really appreciate you taking the time. Best of luck to, to you and not just uh, on the track, but in the DJ booth. And uh, <laughs> as always, just let us know anytime we can support you. I really appreciate that, Sid. And it's been lovely speaking with you and a breath of fresh air to talk about more than just my sexuality. And I think that's very important. So I've, I've loved doing this. Well, now you see that it is official. I am a breath of fresh air straight from Corinne's mouth to your ears. Uh, you can follow Corinne Humphreys on social media, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, type in Corinne, C-O-R-I-N-N-E. Humphreys is with uh, an E-Y-S at the end. You should be able to track her down that way. And I'm serious. I'm going to, I'm going to download this app. Uh, I'm literally in the middle of it right now as I edit this podcast. I'm going to download it, and who knows, maybe you'll see DJ Sid at the Gay Games uh, next year. Thank you again for listening, and we will talk to you next week.